Okay, so we've been talking about the, <clears throat> the order of salvation, the many, many, many blessings that God gives to us as part of bringing us to himself, uh, making us uh, to be part of his family, <clears throat> part of our becoming believers. And we st started with election in the distant past, <clears throat> in eternity past, and then calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, and the beginning of sanctification, all part of becoming a Christian, and then, then sanctification continues throughout life. And then we took a little interlude last week and talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit and questions about that. And now this morning, perseverance or remaining a Christian. But before I go on and talk about that, I, I came to the end in a big rush last week and didn't give you very much time to interact on that baptism in the Holy Spirit question. And so I'll just give you a minute or two if there were kind of any follow-up questions on that last week? Anything? Nothing urgent. Okay. Okay. So we go on to this question of the perseverance of the saints. The definition, the perseverance of the saints means, and I, and I didn't make up this phrase, perseverance of the saints. It's kind of a, a phrase that's been passed on in theology just down through generations, and so I haven't tempered with it, <clears throat> but, um, uh, but we'll just use it. Perseverance, all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And, but it's perseverance of the saints, that is those who are truly believers. So, And only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. So it's kind of two halves to it. I don't know, when you were young, if you had... The, on the right side of my report card in elementary school, there are all these character qualities that the teacher would check off. I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't think they do. But no. But don't, yes, they do? Sherry? Okay. But perseverance was one of them. This is a big word. What does that mean? I think that means you got your homework done. You didn't just start it, but you finished it. That kind of thing. And uh, it means continuing over time. One that I always got graded down on was well, because I kind of like to talk and joke in class. When I was in elementary school, this was. And the teacher put that under self-control. And I don't know why. I, I just thought that was awful, because it sounded really bad when you got a bad grade in self-control. I thought I self-controlled, but she thought I was talking too much. So anyway, well, that's an aside. Okay, perseverance of the saints. So all who are uh, truly born again will persevere to the end, and uh, this which means if you're really, if you're saved, if you're a genuine believer, you're not going to lose your salvation. And so uh, there are several passages that talk about that. Uh, Jesus says, "I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." And this is the will of Him who sent me. So already we've got Jesus saying, "This is why He came to do the will of the Father." This is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, that's genuine saving faith, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And that, that's resurrection to, to life with Christ. And so that's a, a very strong guarantee that Jesus won't lose anyone of those whom the Father has chosen and given to him. To save. <clears throat> and again, John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep 
hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And the Greek text here is extremely emphatic. Two negatives. U me apolontai. Aston Iona. Not, 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 not at all will they perish forever. And that's the way Greek makes it very emphatically negative. They will never, never, never perish. And that's you that Jesus is talking about. You'll never perish in terms of falling away from salvation, in terms of going to hell, being eternally condemned. Never, 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 Jesus is saying. It won't happen. It won't happen. How do you like that? <laughs> you like it, Susie? Yes? <laughs> Good. I like it. It's wonderful. It's a huge, huge blessing. Just a sense of reassurance, sense of peace. God has he's chosen us. He's called us to himself. He's made us his children. He's given us to Jesus as those whom he will save. And... and, uh, and this is, we're his sheep. We hear his voice. He knows us. We follow him. He gives us eternal life, and we'll never perish. We'll never fail from that life. Never, never, never. So 10,000, 100,000, 500,000 years from now, we'll still be together. We'll still know each other in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that good? I mean, if we don't learn anything else this morning, we just focus on that. Oh, my goodness, what a, what a peace in my heart. Even as I say this, they shall never perish. Oh, what a huge, what a huge blessing. And I don't ever want to diminish that or take away from it. It's true. Romans 8.30. This is this uh, verse that talks about all these elements of salvation. Those whom he predestined in eternity past, he also called. That's when we heard the gospel message. Those whom he called, he also justified. God declared us not guilty, but righteous in his sight. And those whom he justified, Paul skips over a bunch of other steps, he also glorified, and this is sometimes the Bible speaks of a future event as a, as a past tense because, it's, because of the certainty of it. And so it's a kind of a prophetic past tense. And there glorified means received resurrection bodies and and that's just settled in God's mind, and so it's, it's for certain. It's going to happen. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, In him also, in Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All sorts of assurance language in this verse as well. In the ancient world, if you had a contract, it would be rolled up. You'd put some kind of soft material or hardened, like wax or other kinds of material, as a seal on that. And so you would know it hadn't been opened or tampered with. The seal was the guarantee that it was permanent. It was settled. Um, or a decree of a king would be sealed with the seal of the king, and then it was permanent. Well, so what's the seal that God's put on you and me? 
Holy Spirit. Put in our hearts a seal. How strong is that? Infinitely strong. <laughs> you like that? I like that. The Holy Spirit in us is functioning as a seal. And not only as a seal, but also a guarantee. Where is that? Uh, Arabon. Guarantee the, the kind of uh, down payment of a commercial transaction that says you're going to come back with more of the same in the future to finish the deal. And the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee within us that he's going to finish the deal and make salvation perfect in us. Guarantee of our inheritance, our future inheritance. So again, strong verses about, about uh, God giving us to Christ, about Christ saying we will never perish, about uh, God's purpose being fulfilled. And here the Holy Spirit guaranteeing or sealing that. And Paul says to the Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, the day when Christ returns and we receive resurrection bodies. So a lot of verses, and there are, there are more verses than that, but that gives us a sample, and they're strong, and I've, uh, there are some Christians in the Christian world who think people can lose their salvation, and they try to get around these verses, but I, and we can talk about those if you want, but um, I just don't find those arguments persuasive. I think this is really strong. So shall we go home? <laughs> It's, and I think, I, Bob? Wayne, uh, what are the verses who, that people hold to that believe that you can lose your salvation? Uh, okay, um, let me look and see if I think I have them later in the outline. Um, um, they're under, under letter C on the outline. Um, the 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 seeds that don't grow number four number five people that don't abide in the vine Hebrews six four and six is the is the four is the big one and I'll look at that in a little detail Hebrews ten Revelation three five so those are coming up good but I, I put them under a different category because I I view them in a little different way anything else. But I, so anyway, this is, is clear. It's strong. I do not want to diminish this truth. I want to make it very clear and very emphatic. I believe that it's true. If a person is genuinely born again, he or she will never, ever, ever lose salvation. I don't want to call that into question at all. It's just it's there in the Bible, and, uh, and I think it should give us great assurance. But I think if that's all that people hear, then it's giving half of the doctrine and not the other half. And the other half I want to go to now. And that, that is more difficult and more challenging. Sandy? Well, I was just going to say the, the verse that talks about the Holy Spirit being um, guaranteeing our inheritance. Right there. The assurance or guarantee. Yeah. You, you, yeah, I know. You, <laughs> Go ahead and put the, let's get the question on the table. Kind of, kind of connecting this, oh yeah, uh, the passage in Philippians, or in Ephesians 1 about the Holy Spirit essentially being the seal, the promise, the the surety yep. of 
the fact that we are born again and yeah. and are belong to God. Yeah. And then we could say to ourselves, those of us who are, let's say, non-Pentecostal, um, could say to ourselves, well, yeah, but you know, how do I really know that mm -hmm. I have the Holy Spirit in me? And uh. I'm kind of connecting this, kind of thinking and connecting this with the last week and thinking if on some level there is a desire for an outward expression mm -hmm. of um, the indwelling Holy Spirit that is like a reassurance to me that yes, indeed, I am born again and believe to God, yep. but also is like verification to others when in reality, it's not the external signs which through, mm -hmm. through religious history we have all loved. Mm -hmm. It is the internal work of a changed life that's mm -hmm. really the mark. But, but that's a little more, Kay. you know, a little Kay. harder to discern. Really two things going on. Um, and and, and one, one of them is D on the outline, what can give a believer assurance? Okay, and I, I want to be sure not to forget that because I think there are a lot of things, like five or six or seven in here that we'll talk about that give us assurance that we are genuinely believers. But then there's this other question, and I ended last week on the outline by saying, no, I don't think baptism in the Holy Spirit is the right label to apply to what happens to people, but there is... The New Testament does talk about being filled with the Spirit, and the New Testament does talk, well, both, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, does they do talk about people, about the Holy Spirit coming powerfully on people, whether it's the prophets or the judges or the kings in the Old Testament, or it's people preaching the Word and doing miracles in the New Testament. There's this empowering work of the Holy Spirit. So this kind of ties in. It's not. It's just assurance, yes, but it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us. Well, how do we know if we have the Holy Spirit within us? And I don't know if I told you this story, but I'm going to take a minute to tell a story here. Um, seven, eight, ten years ago, I don't know. Zondervan Publishers came and said, Wayne, <clears throat> would you um, edit a book on whether miracles continue today, miraculous gifts like healing and prophecy and tongues and things? And we wanted to do one of these four books, four views, of, four Christian views of our miraculous gifts for today. So I edited that book, and it's available. And so we had a Pentecostal who is Doug Ose, and he's a, he's a wonderful scholar, and he's a New Testament PhD, and he teaches at the Assemblies of God, was then college, now he's at the seminary in Springfield, Missouri, the kind of um, flagship school of the Assemblies of God. So he was a Pentecostal. And we had uh, Sam Storms, who has been a, a Wheaton theology professor, now has an independent ministry, but he's a Dallas seminary grad, had a PhD from the University of Texas in intellectual history and working on Jonathan Edwards, and he's a very good scholar and a pastor. So Doug O, Sam Storms, kind of third wave vineyard person. And then we had a Talbot professor, Robert Sosi, who's just a godly man and a very wise scholar, representing sort of the broad middle ground of evangelicalism, and we couldn't find a term for it, and we finally called it open but cautious. He was really cautious, but he was somewhat open. Okay, so, you know, and I, I just love think the world of Bob Sosi. So, so he was there, and then, and then the cessationist view, which says these miraculous gifts ended in the first century, time of the apostles, and don't expect healing or prophecy or miracles today. I mean, not 
not any giftings of those. And that was uh, Robert Gaffin at Westminster Seminary. Again, a godly man, and he had been my New Testament professor, so I'd known him for years. So those four views, and and then I was the moderator of it and the editor. So so the the Pentecostal person, Doug Owes, kept saying, there's this baptism in the Holy Spirit after conversion, and here it is in Acts, and here it is in Acts, and then all of the rest of us kind of were didn't quite follow that, and we said, no, it doesn't. We don't see it that way. But he kept coming back, and he'd say, but you know, there is this empowering experience where people are specially empowered by the Holy Spirit for different things. And then all the rest of us said, you know, Doug, you've got a point there. We wouldn't call it baptism in the Holy Spirit. But we do see it a lot of times in Acts, where they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preach the word, and you know, thousands are saved. And, and, and in other traditions, it was called unction or anointing, where people had great power in preaching and, or, or whatever. So the leftover, unfinished part of last week was, yes, but, even if we don't call it baptism in the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we... Shouldn't we have another topic in here that has to do with empowering by the Holy Spirit? Okay, this has to do with our legal standing. We're not guilty. This has to do with our family membership in God's family. That's relationship. This legal standing. That's family relationship. This has to do with personal holiness. But is there anything that has to do with power in the Christian life? And... And so we kind of, all of us left, from all these different traditions, left saying, you know, we need to do more work on that because it's a kind of a theme in the New Testament that doesn't fit in our traditional category. And I call it empowering but or anointing or whatever we want to call it. And so, um, so I want to say, yes, that's good. I think we believe it, but we don't have a separate topic. Now, do you want to say something, Sandy? Am I answering what you're asking? Maybe this is, uh, well, as all things are, sort of personal observation is filtering the comment, but um, the, that filling, that, that unction, as I reflect on my informal and then more formal times of ministry over my lifetime, I have sensed from time to time just a sense that, wow, God really moved yep. and people would even say, wow, you know, yep. God just seemed to speak yep. to you. And, and it could be the same filling, message that yes. another time just was... Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And sense that filling. And also for our personal lives, my problem, it isn't God's problem, it isn't the Holy Spirit's problem, my problem is I leak. God fills, but then it seems to trickle out through yep. my deeply entrenched self-focus yep. and yep. and self-love and all the yeah. other self-things. Yeah. And so I think that this happens more than just once. This, yes, I do. This sense and that's of the key. God moving and filling yeah. miraculously. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely, Sandy. Thank you for that. Good. John. I would like to request that you clarify all who have truly been born again. Yep. I accepted Christ a while ago. I don't think I'll ever attain your scholarly knowledge of the Bible. And there are times when I, I don't know, say worry about it, but think about, am I really truly born again? Now yep. I feel I have been. 
Yeah. And I think the verse that I put my hand on is Philippians 1 6. Yeah. That God will continue to. Yeah. He's not going to let me down, and he's going to continue the good work that he started in me by yep. working on me with the Holy Spirit. Good. And I don't know, I guess it bothers me when you say when you've been truly born again, that phrase bothers me. I think I have truly been born again. But good. But you say... Um, well, cross out truly if you want. I mean, pardon? Cross out truly if you want. But I guess what I'm saying is, it's a sense. It's a sense, sort of, of my being born again is a gift from God. Yeah. It's not from what I can do. Yeah. Or works. If you yeah. Want to use I that agree. Hundred percent. And so, it, it, this sort of smacks of working your way into heaven. And, yeah. And, and I just like a little clarification of that. It's not working your way into heaven. It's by faith alone. But the question is, are there people who kind of pray a prayer, or make a profession of faith, and then there's nothing. See, and, and uh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about any individual I know, but I can talk about some famous people in the national media. And the, the, the awful example is Larry Flint, who publishes Hustler magazine. He's one of the biggest publishers of pornography in the United States. And maybe 15 years ago, he said, oh, I've been a born-again Christian. I trusted in Jesus. And he went on, no change in his life at all. Well, he's not a born-again Christian. And uh, another one that I just, I don't know what happened to him, is Bob Dylan, who made a profession of faith, and he was singing about his faith in Jesus, but I don't know where he is from the public things he says. And Margaret likes Bob Dylan's songs. I don't, <laughs> you know, they're kind of, okay, so she does. And, <laughs> and you know, there's kind of a searching in his, in his music. So, I, and maybe he still is a born-again Christian. Now, that's not a good example, but because there's still some faith there, but it's not really, so we don't know, and there are people like that. Or, or, you know, um, if you've ever done, and Laverne, you've done counseling at Billy Graham meetings, and, and many people who go forward and profess faith get in a church, they get involved, and they, they stick with it. But there are people that never, you never hear from them again. Even the follow-up, and they just, so what, you know, what do we say about that? When they, they kind of came forward one night, and something, you know, they, they wanted to do something, but You know, you're changed by the word, yep. but you have to keep in the word. You don't lose your salvation, but you might just be coasting along. You've missed out on a lot yep. of real nice things through life by yep. not staying in the word. But the question is, are there people who come forward and say, I want to trust in Jesus? And do they, kind uh, of they do, and we can't judge them. It's, you know, yep. God's doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And so we just work with them and yep. send them to a... Bible-believing church and and, ho and hope and, they and pray they follow for them. Yeah. yeah. But so now, what I'm going to say in the second half of the outline, and you can disagree with me if you want, is that there are some people who do pray a prayer or make a profession of faith or start getting fellowship with the church, and then they just fall away. So then, what do we do about those? Because if I'm going to teach the whole New Testament, there are verses that talk about those people too, and that's what if I can, I'll get to the second half of the. I'll get to point B, but let's see what else we have to say. John 14, okay, 15, not 14. Yep, yep, the other vine. Okay, okay, Tammy. Don't you think that Christ talked about that when he talked about sowing the seeds? Mm -hmm. And um, maybe you could talk about that, how, how some of them will grow and grow, yep. and those are the truly saved, but then yep. some will just... 
yeah. wither away, and does that mean that that wasn't a true? Okay. A okay. Let me look at these other verses and see see where we go. And as always, you don't have any obligation to believe you believe what I'm saying. I'm just saying here it is, and let's see where it goes. All right. You get your admission money back. <laughs> you don't agree, which is zero. Okay. Okay. Uh, only those who persevere to the end have been truly born again. And I, this is my best job at trying to make sense of these verses. So, John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There's an if. If you abide in my word, if you remain, if you continue, then you are truly my disciple. Was that a genuine faith, or was it just kind of an intellectual but not a heart agreement? Colossians 1, 22-23. You, who were once alienated, he's talking to the whole church at Colossae. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay, so he's going to present you blameless before him if indeed you continue in the faith. There's an if. I think Paul's talking to the whole church. He's saying, okay, you're all going to be presented blameless before God at the final judgment by Jesus if you continue because he knows there might be some people there who are just, oh, I'm going to use this phrase again, who are not truly born again, who are just, they came, they, came, they kind of went along with things in the church, but, but they, wouldn't, they weren't going to continue. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Another verse, Hebrews 3, 10 to 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you. Now, in general, Paul, uh, not Paul, the author of Hebrews, I don't know who wrote it, he's writing to this audience, and he, he thinks of them in general in, as believers, but he's saying, be careful, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we share in Christ if, 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 if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I want to do justice to those verses and say, you're all going to heaven. We're going to be with each other forever if you hold firm to the end. I think that's what the author is saying. 1 John 2.9, talking about people who left the fellowship of the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That is, they weren't, they weren't, I think it means they weren't believers. They weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they were genuinely Christians. They would have continued with us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, there's a verse in 1 Peter, or a passage in 1 Peter, that talks a little bit more about how that happens, about how, how God keeps us and preserves us for himself, and that is by keeping our faith strong. So God doesn't guard us apart from our faith, but only by 
working through our faith, 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And the picture is, just a few minutes ago I said, you've trusted in Christ, you have in your heart an assurance of salvation, you're never going to perish, you're never going to fall away, and you're... And Jesus is going to keep you to the end. And you had something in your heart that said, yes, Lord, thank you. I'm so thankful for that. And there was a faith in your heart. But that faith in your heart was evidence that God is keeping you. He's keeping you by keeping that faith alive in you. And his promise is he's going to do that. But you're being guarded through faith. So the faith that we continue to have is evidence that God is continuing to keep us. He works through our faith. All, this, is, this is present. You are being guarded. Right now, this minute, Sunday morning, August 27, you are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. It's for that future fullness of salvation. Now, these warning passages about if you continue, etc., I don't think they are given to make us think assurance of salvation is impossible. Bible never talks that way. But <clears throat> to warn people against falling away and to warn those who have fallen away, don't take it lightly. And in fact, there are many evidences of salvation that can give us genuine assurance, and that's in point D that we'll come to at the end. Now, this is sort of B and C go together. Those who do fall away in the New Testament give many external signs of conversion. So examples from the New Testament. One would be Judas. And one of the most surprising verses in the New Testament, I listed it here on your outline, but it's not up on the PowerPoint. Judas. It's Matthew 26, 22. I'll just turn and read that. Matthew 26, 22. I'll, um, I'll start, this is the Last Supper. I'll start with verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were <clears throat> very sorrowful <clears throat> and began to say to him, one after another, it's Judas, isn't it? No, Alan, no, what did they say? Is it I? Isn't that interesting? Three years with Judas. Jesus said in John, it's the Bible list of the verse there, have not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? See, he knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. So Jesus knew that Judas was the one. But the other disciples, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't all turn to say, aha, Judas, he knows about you. <laughs> he, Judas could be part of Jesus' twelve disciples for three years and fake it. 
kind of fake the Christian life so convincingly that nobody knew. Man, that's surprising. In Galatians 2.4, Paul talks about false brothers secretly brought in. <clears throat> false brothers secretly brought in to the church. They weren't believers. 2 Corinthians 11.26, danger from false brothers, he says, who were in the church, but they weren't really part of the church. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he will declare to them, I used to know you, but I don't know you now. Is that what it said? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you've lost your salvation. I don't think anybody ever loses salvation. He doesn't say, I, I used to know you, I don't know you now. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. They never were born again. They never were believers, but they were kind of doing activities in the church somehow. And, 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 and. and I think this is, although people differ on how to interpret this, I think this is how to understand the people represented by the rocky ground in the parable of the sower, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They have no root in themselves. I think that there's no source of life. There's, there's no real, genuine life. It just it could push the parable forever. I mean, maybe not all the details work out, but... It looks to me like there's no, they're, they're not really born again. They, they, they just, they, they weren't true plants or something like that, or were incomplete. Those who do not abide in the vine, if a man does not abide in me, he's cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That to me looks very strongly like image of final judgment. And again, um, people can differ on what is meant by that parable of the vine, but that's how I take it. It looks like people who weren't born again. And then, here's a long passage. And um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take several minutes on Hebrews 6. So let me stop and see if you want to interact on those other ones first. On this, Judas, the false brothers, the I never knew you, no written themselves, thrown into the fire and burned. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, Clyde? Yeah. Talk about falling away. Yep. Yeah, they had to be there. Yeah, but I think it means falling away from fellowship of the church, not from salvation. Well, because I don't think anybody can lose salvation. <laughs> well, it just says fall away. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, Cheryl. I believe that when you accept Christ as your Savior, you still continue to sin. Yep, I believe that. You, I believe both of those things. And you seek to repent. I think with Judas, he accepted Christ, but he made a mistake. He was greedy, and he decided he wanted those pieces of silver. Yeah. He did not think that they would actually hurt Jesus. I don't think he meant for him to suffer. And so, to me, he's no better than Peter, who denied him 
Jesus three times when he said, I don't know him. He did it three times and then the cock crowed. So to me, he's no, Peter's no better than Judas was. And then when you talk about people falling away, I think when people first accept Christ as their savior, they're young in Christ and they need somebody to come alongside them and explain to them what it what involves with being a Christian and how what it takes to grow. And if they have nobody to come aside to them and show them how to grow, they don't get it. They don't know what to do after yeah. accepting him as their savior. Those are the ones that are sincere. Now there are some that pretend and they are fake. Yeah. And they pretend that they have accepted him and they fall away and they decide to play both sides. Yeah. Well, if I really will go to hell, I'll do this so I won't go to hell. But, it, but I'm going to straddle the fence and I will do as I please. So I'll be covered yeah. on both sides. Well, um, I, I, I want to affirm a lot of what you said there, Shirley. Um, and I think there are, you know, there are people that are fake, as you said. Um, and I do agree that if people accept Christ and, and believe in him, if it's, if it's a genuine faith, I don't think they're going to fall away. I, <clears throat> I probably wouldn't go along with you with regard to Peter and Judas. And the reason I wouldn't on that one would be the, right on that outline where I've got Judas's name there under C1. I didn't read those verses, but let me read those two verses in John 6 where it says, <clears throat> Jesus said, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then verse 70, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So I don't think Judas was ever born again. I don't think he ever truly accepted Jesus. I think that Jesus called him a devil and said he would betray him, and then the devil entered into him before he betrayed Jesus. So I do agree that Peter sinned and we sin. I agree with that, surely, for sure. But I think Judas never, never was saved, and we won't see him in heaven. Yeah. 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 Yeah, all that's true. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, tell me your name again. Uh, Vince Daly. Yeah, Vince. I think Judas is in a different category. Remember in John 17, he says, I, I pray for them. He prayed for everyone. He said, none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Yeah, the scriptures okay, might be fulfilled. Yeah. Okay. So there's this. Uh, a little different. It's a little bit different okay. with Judas. Okay, okay. Okay, and Phil, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be done with Judas here, but something else, Phil. Yeah, I, I'm done with Judas, too, okay. I mean, for this class. I, two comments. The first one is, uh, for those of us that profess Jesus Christ as Lord and, and still get in, entangled and all that, one thing that helped me was to read Pilgrim's Progress, and I remember the pr Pilgrim is, for example, when he was climbing the hill, he fell asleep and got behind, yeah. and as they were going along the path, he was terrified when they were attacked by the lions, and as he continued along the path, he got stuck over in Vanity Fair for a while, and even as he was making his final crossing into Jordan, there was fear, but it still gives me hope that even going off the path, falling asleep, that uh, the Pilgrim 
made it. <laughs> yep. Uh, I do believe that there are certainly portions of that are that are inspired in that that parody. Okay. But the other one has to do with inspired in another sense from the Bible. But but they're they're teaching true doctrine in a parable. Yeah. The other one, I'm not sure it's the slide that is up there, but when he's saying, I never knew you, you did these works and things in my name yep. and, and yep. that. And so I'm probably, I could be very wrong on this, and I'm opening my mouth very wide to stick my foot in it. Uh, some uh, of the more liberal, what we call mainstream churches, deny the, the accuracy and the inerrancy of scriptures, and there are ordained people who do not accept the divinity of Christ or his yep. his resurrection. So yep. that particular body yep. or person might start a soup kitchen to feed the homeless. They might find a counseling session. They might help with unwed mothers. They might be funding missionaries. So in other words, they might be doing all kinds of but works in your name, but they don't have that belief and it to me it goes back to Romans 10 and a, and a major portion of this do I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead mm -hmm. and I do and I think a lot of people that are perhaps more liberal or literary criticism whatever maybe do not believe that and okay. it's I don't know you okay good okay I'm gonna go on I think okay it's good I'm not I'm trying to draw a balance between moving forward and letting everybody interact. So, Okay, Hebrews 6. Now here's, <clears throat> this is the big passage that people point to who say you can lose your salvation. And it's a challenge. Um, and so I don't know if I'll persuade you or not of my view of this passage because I'll first read it in the way that people would read it who say that, you know, it's possible for some people to lose their salvation. And oh, my friend Grant Osborne teaches New Testament at Trinity Divinity School, and he's been my friend for 25 years, and he's written on this passage, and he says it surely teaches that people can lose their salvation. And he's a good New Testament scholar. And then uh, Scott McKnight, Grant had the office across the hall from me, Scott McKnight had the office next door to me, and they both had the wrong view of this passage. So, <laughs> and they're both good New Testament scholars in other verses. So... <laughs> But anyway, here's how they would read it. It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and they would say that means the person is born again, and have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, that's surely born again, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, that's the experience of salvation, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Well, see, they had repentance beforehand. Now they need to repent again. That means they repented once already. Since they're crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So that's how they'll read it, and they'll say, look, you got all these verses piled up, these words piled up, it looks like they're truly born again. And these people fall away. And, um, and look, these are, these are my friends in the academic world, and others who are uh, in the evangelical world in the uh, Nazarene tradition, or um, and the Bible-believing, conservative, Methodist tradition, many would hold to this, um, that it's possible to lose salvation, and they would look at a number of passages, but, but this would be one. Um, but I don't think that it's necessary to read it that way. And I'm going to go through these phrases, enlightened, tasted, shared, tasted, 
fallen away and repentance and just propose an alternative understanding of it. Once been enlightened, uh, I think that means that they came to understand the truths of the gospel. Enlightened, it means they got it, they understood it. Doesn't mean they accepted it or believed it. It means ordinarily what you'd mean by being enlightened. They, 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 uh, they understood it. Not that they responded to these truths with genuine saving faith. Once enlightened does not specify whether it would be repeated or not. There's a little argument, technical argument, about hapax in Greek. Does it mean once for all? Well, no. I mean, there are other places where Paul says, oh, you sent me a gift once and again in Philippians. Right? So once and again means it could be more than once. So I don't think that means... That doesn't necessarily mean they were saved. I think it means they heard the gospel message and they understood it. It doesn't mean they believed. Then they've tasted the heavenly gift and the uh, goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. The word for tasting, Greek word guomai, can imply a temporary taste of something a person might decide to reject. It can also be figurative for come to know something. I think that the people may have understood and experienced God's word and spiritual power apart from genuine saving faith. You ever know people who aren't believers, they say, oh, I read the Psalms and they're so beautiful. See, I think they're tasting the goodness of the word of God. They're finding some majesty, some kind of sense of God's glory in them. They're tasting the word of God. And the power is the age to come. What does that mean? Maybe they came into the church and they had some kind of physical ailment and the church prayed for them and God touched them and healed them. But I don't think that means that they were born again. I mean, Jesus healed every single person who came to him. Does that mean that every single person in Capernaum or wherever, that they all believed in him as Messiah? No, some didn't believe, but he healed them anyway. So that tasted the goodness of the word of God means they experienced, they, oh, I like this. It's awesome, it's majestic. And tasted the powers, the goodness of, see, they tasted the heavenly gift, and they tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. But the word tasted kind of means sampled, but you don't know if you swallowed it or not. And so I think that that doesn't imply that they had saving faith. And then they've shared in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean in the Holy Spirit in the sense of being truly born again? The Greek word for shared, metakos, uh, that it's metaka, uh, the, the form in the dictionary is metakos, not metakos. But those of you who know Greek, I didn't make a mistake. I did make a mistake there, or that is a mistake. Um, uh, that can mean a close participation. That is, we share in Christ. There, it does mean salvation, but it can mean like a loose, something like a loose association. Uh, it's the same word used of the disciples' fishing partners in Luke 5:7. They caught so many fish. They kind of beckoned to their metakoi, the partners in the other ships, to come and help them. They're just kind of other fishermen. So that doesn't mean there was an intimate, close relationship. It just they were kind of fellow workers. So I think that this shared in the Holy Spirit or become partakers of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't need to imply they had a redeeming work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They may have been loosely associated with the church and thus the Holy Spirit. That is, they had some kind of... They, were, they came to church services. They, they liked the church services. They liked the reading of the word of God. And people prayed for them when they had needs. And maybe they had healing 
that they experienced. Maybe they saw answers to prayer because God graciously answered their prayer. There was some sharing in the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't have to imply they were born again. And then to restore them again to repentance, repentance, it can mean just a, a change of mind or a sorrow for an offense without genuine saving repentance. Um, Esau was grieved that he had sold his birthright, but I don't think it was saving repentance. It was just, oh, I wish I hadn't sold my birthright for this bowl of soup. And so uh, it can be just kind of sorrow for the, 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 um, the uh, consequences. So it seems to me that it's possible to take this, it's possible to take these words as people who have been affiliated closely with the church. Maybe they'd come for weeks or months. They had some sorrow for sin. They were kind of, maybe a little bit convicted. They understood the gospel. They felt the power of the Holy Spirit at work. But then in spite of all this, they fell away. They're crucifying once again the Son of God. That is, they're saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And they're kind of saying it's all in vain. I reject it. They're willfully rejecting all these blessings and turning decidedly against them. And the author says if these people willfully turn away from all of these temporary blessings, tasting the goodness of the word of God, seeing answers to prayer, knowing that there's some, something wrong with their sin, them for sin, they reject all those temporary blessings, it will be impossible to restore them again to any kind of repentance or sorrow for sin. Their hearts will be hardened. Their conscience is callous. What could be done to bring them to salvation? You say, oh, you should read the word of God. It's beautiful. They say, I know but I really don't want anything to do with it. Say, you know, God answers prayer. Let me pray for you. Oh, no, it's already happened. I know God answers prayer, but I don't want anything to do with it. Well, what are you going to do? Say, you're a sinner. Well, yeah, I kind of thought that, and I, I, I believed that one time, but I just don't want to trust in Christ. Well, what are you going to do if everything you would normally do to bring them to salvation doesn't, doesn't have any effect on them anymore because they've, they've received it all with no result? I think... The author wants to give a severe warning to those in danger of slipping away from their Christian profession. He wants to use the strongest language possible to say this is how far a person can come in experiencing temporal blessings and not really be saved. And so now let me go back to the passage as it was here at the beginning up on this. And I think it means this. It's impossible if people have all these blessings and then fall away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. And now this image is what tips the balance for me in understanding these verses. It's the next verse, verse 7. And here the author gives an example of land that gets a lot of rain. And we can understand this, well, <laughs> I don't know if we can understand this in Arizona or not. But, but land that has a lot of rain coming upon it. Now picture this land. Land that has drunk the rain that often falls upon it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So if it's land that bears a good crop, it's useful. A lot of corn or a lot of tomatoes or whatever you're growing. A lot of wheat. If it drinks the rain and gives a lot of fruit, well, it's a blessing. But... If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, its end is to be burned. Now again, here's what happened. The rain pictures blessings. They hear the word of God, people pray for them, they get answers to prayer, 
they, they, they kind of taste this fellowship of believers. They like it. It's all receiving, 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 receiving. It's like land getting rain, rain, rain. And what happens? They're just bearing thorns and thistles right here. Thorns and thistles. No fruit. No fruit from their life. God gives all these blessings, and they just give thorns and thistles. What's happened? It's near to being burned. It's end is to be burned. And I think the readers would say, whoa, that's frightening. I'm trembling. And they should. The author wants them to say, let's not fall in that category. But then verse 9, I've got to go to the next slide to show you verse 9, because now he comes back to talk about the majority of people in the church. Verse 9, though we speak in this way with these strong warnings, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, better things than just bearing thorns and thistles, better things than being enlightened, tasting the goodness of the word of God, sharing somehow in the Holy Spirit, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And then he goes on and says, God is not so unjust as to overlook your, your faith and your hope and, and your, your yeah, I'll just, I'll read it. Now he's saying, now look, for the, for the most of you, you're, you're showing real fruits of salvation, better things. Your work and the love you showed in serving the saints, see, that's bearing fruit. <clears throat> and the earnestness and the assurance of hope until the end, and those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, <clears throat> there's a response. And so those things are the good, are the, uh, are the better things that belong to salvation. So, so my, my understanding of the passage is it's people who have been affiliated with the church but have gotten a lot of blessings and there's been no fruit and no real faith. What do you think? Um, Rosemary. Rosemary, yeah. Is it okay? Go ahead. Try again. I just wondered if a per, if this is the unpardonable sin. Well, it. I think the unpardonable sin is seeing all this evidence of what the Holy Spirit is doing, and then saying oh, that belongs, and knowing it, and saying that's from Satan. So that's really a serious, serious rejection. This is kind of in the same category, but I don't know if it's quite the same thing. This is just falling away. It's not. Maybe it's not quite as strong. Yeah, I mean, he wants them. He wants them to uh, to come back. That's why he's warning them. Yeah, they still have hope. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Way in the back corner back there. And then Brian next. I saw your hand earlier. I forgot. Okay. Hi, my name's Glenn. Quick question for you. Do you yep. think the fire that's mentioned in that verse is the lake of fire in Revelations chapter 21 or the fire of testing at the Bema Seat for works? I think it's thorns and thistles. Its end is to be burned. <clears throat> that's the final result. So I think it's final judgment. I mean, not the same as Lake of Fire, but it's final judgment, not not just testing or purifying, because that's not our end or final result. Brian? I'm sorry? Yeah. Oh, um, good morning. Um, it's When you're reading Hebrews 6 just now, it's 
um, I felt like it was just uh, uh, you're reading my life actually in many ways and in my past because I had grown up in a, uh, an environment where the gospel was preached and uh, I understood that it was through faith alone and not through works and so forth. At a very young age, I, uh, you know, I prayed uh, the sinner's prayer and so mm -hmm. forth. And yet the bottom line was I was one who was bearing thorns and thistles, mm. um, not even necessarily in a uh, prominent way, um, very discreetly. I was a model citizen and everything, but the bottom line was I was still not bearing fruit in a godly, well, it was bad fruit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so I'm not too sure I was going with this. I guess I was maybe earlier there was the dialogue going on about the Billy Graham crusade, about how you have these professions of faith. Yeah. And yet the bottom line is they, they seem to fall away. Some. And, and, or, yeah, or some of them will fall away. And um, it was like, wow, that's I can testify to that because I was one who was not saved for a long what time. What made the difference, Brad? I... At, when I was 23 years old, um, I ended up involved in a cult. I, I could not tell you what it was other than it was just the grace of God working in me, opening up my heart. Mm -hmm. I had all the intellectual knowledge yep. pertaining to salvation. I yep. tasted the goodness. Everything listed up there it was like, wow, this, this really describes what I was going through. Yep. And yet the bottom line was it, was until, it wasn't until the Lord had opened my heart and uh, revealed things to me. Um, that yep. I became saved. There was Christian. a conviction of sin, yes. probably. Yes, there was repent. that conviction. Yeah. Uh, and I tend to get a little nervous about, well, I'm actually very worried about the church in many ways because I wonder how much of a, how much this is going on within the church. Yeah. I think it's more possible in the church as opposed to those who are outside the church yeah. and they're not exposed to these things. Yeah. It's, it, thank you, Brian. Um, John Politan's sermon this morning unknown to me, is speaking about the Word of God, but he brings in some of the same concern about, he said, the hardest people to reach are religious people who aren't saved. Um, yeah, good. What else? Right here. Well, I have to ask your name again. My name is Rosie. I have a question of curiosity. Your peers that you respect, who feel they can lose salvation, or yep. or, or yep. believers can lose salvation. Yeah. Do they believe it's a revolving door where you can lose it, and then gain, gain it, it again? Yes. Lose yes. it, regain yes. it. Yes. Yes. What what sins do they quantify worthy of losing your salvation? Well, just a pattern that would show that you're not really saved. They wouldn't specify. But you know, here's the here's the fun, the funny, the the, the kind of good thing, the cause for rejoicing. If I'm not going to pick out anybody here, but I've got. If if we have our friend um, Zeke, nobody here is named Zeke, right? Okay, we have our friend Zeke here, and he came to church for a while, and he was kind of, you know, talking like a Christian. Then we haven't seen him for months, and then we run into him. My friend Grant Osborne and I are both going to say we don't think you're saved. <laughs> So we're both going to counsel him the same way. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. See, now, now, Grant would say, you were saved, but you lost your salvation. I would say, you came to church, but you never did have salvation. But we'd both say, same prescription. We'd write the same prescription for him. Here's a repentance, and here's a faith. Take one of each. <laughs> no, I mean, that isn't a good example, because you don't take You do it. Well, anyway, these are things you do. So uh, in the end, it comes around to... Um, we would encourage the same result. Now, 
Now here's the other tricky thing, and that is I know that there are people like Peter, Shirley brought up Peter, who, who backslide. They fall into sin, and then they repent. I'll bet if I asked for a show of hands, everybody here would say, yeah, it's me too. So, and I would. See, and then why did I do that? And then, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. So, So then is it possible that a person could be a born-again believer and then not get in good teaching and not be in good fellowship and just live outside of fellowship with the church but still be born again? Yes. And the the example that always comes to mind is, is, uh, I won't mention her name, but but, um, someone in Margaret's extended family back in another state, near the end of her life, she was in the hospital with terminal cancer. And I went to visit her in the hospital. And they had kind of gone to what Phil would call a a more liberal church that didn't preach a true gospel message, okay? But she'd gone, sort of, but, you know, we didn't think they were believers at all. I come to talk to her, visit with her in the hospital, and... And she says, well, are you going to pray with me? Are you going to read the Bible? And, and she was kind of prompting me. And as we talked more, there was a genuine faith there. So then it seemed to me she'd been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years, but had been just having crummy teaching. She had a pastor told her couldn't, couldn't believe the Bible. See, and, and she wasn't growing in her faith, but there was still some life there. So... I definitely want to allow for that too, but that's the unusual situation. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be. Okay, is that is that helpful, Laverne? In defense of the Billy Graham stuff that I went through lots and lots of years, but you know the people that come forward, we believe, and I think you believe the same way. God calls mm-hmm. us to Himself. Sure. We don't voluntarily go there. And for some reason, they get called and they yep. you know, come for one reason or another, maybe oh, because yeah. their girlfriend or boyfriend is calling them and yep. not God. Yep. So they fall by the wayside. Yep. But God, once he has a hold of us, he never turns loose. And this young man, he didn't turn loose of him. He, you know, right. he, he kept knocking <laughs> know. at your heart. Yep. Yep. And even though we go the wrong direction. Yep. And also... I think sometimes what we're losing is not the salvation, because I don't believe we can lose our salvation, mm-hmm. but we're losing the eternal life that God gives us here and now. Mm-hmm. Not, okay. you know, we end up waiting till we get to heaven to have okay. anything else. Okay. I'm, I'm, look, I want to say I'm very, very thankful for the ministry of Billy Graham, and just I could tell more stories. I won't now, but I'm. Um, so I don't want to disparage that at all. And I think everybody connected with evangelism would say some people fall away and some don't and some come back and we don't always know. Um, so I'm going to say at the end, although it's going to be next week because I think we'll take another week on this, I'm going to say at the end, just to kind of skip ahead, there are, there are some people that we say there's lots of evidence of salvation. And I look around this room, and I just know many of you, and I know, I have no question at all. You're born again, you're going to be in heaven, and you've got assurance. That... There are other people who are just completely away from the church, and they're living in lives of sin and anger and hostility against the church, no evidence of believing the gospel at all. They're just, they're not saved. But then there are people in the middle where there's, their lives give mixed signals, and we have to say, well, we don't know. We're not quite sure how to pray for them. If they come to talk to you about what should I do, well, you know, you, you want to talk and probe some more. But, but there's, there are a lot of people that we have to say, we're just not sure. And I, and I know some people 
close to me that I'm not sure. See, about. Because their fellowship with the church is not regular. But I see some really encouraging signs in their life. So so what do we do? But I, So now we're, this is, the time is over. Um, what, we're, what we're going to end up doing here is, I'll go back to point A. I just want to emphasize, emphasize, those who are truly born again will persevere to the end. You will not lose your salvation. Number B, only those who persevere have been truly born again. That is, there are people who kind of come to be part of the church, but they're not really born again, and they fall away. Point C, there are some people who fall away that may give external signs that, that kind of look like conversion. I'll look at a few more of those passages next week. And then point D, the bottom line, how can I be sure that I'm a believer? There are a number of passages in the Bible that want to encourage us to say, look, here, 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 these are things you can look at in your life and, and have assurance that you are born again. And, and that's where I want to end up. That'll be next week.